0: what is up everybody i am back with another edition of the state of bitcoin podcast and i'm joined with an absolute legend in the bitcoin space tone vase so tone is a former wall street quant for those of you don't know he's got a master's in financial engineering He's a former derivatives trader, financial educator. He's the founder of the Financial Summit, which I went to in the Dominican Republic. They've got another one November 1st through 6th in Bali, so you should check that out. Absolutely could not recommend that conference more. Uh, and then he's got Unconfiscatable, which is going to be next year in 2023, I believe in December and then understanding Bitcoin in Dubai so be sure to check out his conferences he puts on some outstanding events so we get into a little bit of Tone's background uh he's got some interesting interesting background uh on along the lines of you know his uh family history and how he found Bitcoin and kind of what Bitcoin means to him so it's a great great story there we talk about the gap between traditional finance and Bitcoiners and uh the growing amount of in-person conferences and lastly he has a unique take on the china banning bitcoin mining so we get into that before we get into the six current event stories so then we take a dive into iran approving regulation for use of bitcoin and shitcoins for international trade we get into the el salvador volcano bitcoin bonds being delayed Singapore planning legislation to decrease the purchases of Bitcoin and crypto Nidig announcing lightning accelerator project Bitcoin Depot going public on Nasdaq and then lastly the eurozone uh inflation hitting an all-time high of 9.1 percent but as always ladies and gentlemen this is not financial advice so please 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 do not take it as financial advice everything said in this Podcast is strictly the opinion of myself and Tone and should not be taken as financial advice and is strictly for entertainment purposes only. Now let's get into the show. Whoosh. Bing bong. We are live with another edition of the State of Bitcoin podcast. But first, before we get started with the guest, I want to thank everybody that's been sending me boosts on the Fountain app. Um, So I'm going to read a couple good ones that I liked. Um, You know, I I got uh, from Megan, just enjoyed the pod. I got uh, from Wedge Social, 10 out of 10, just like ketchup chips. And I got from Enlil, um, Brandon is the news anchor we need. So I really appreciate all the compliments. But I got a very, very special guest for you today. I got Tone Vase, one of the originals in the crypto space and Bitcoin. So Tone, how are we doing tonight?
1: I'm good. I'm good.
0: So, you, uh, yeah, I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I know you're. You've been traveling all over the world, and uh, you know we just ran into each other. At, you know, I was at your financial summit, and then we ran into each other at Bitblock Boom, and uh, now you're traveling to even more crazy places. But uh, thanks for taking the time and uh, coming on the show. I really appreciate it.
1: Yep. Yeah, no, thank you for having me on. I just tweeted it out
0: saying that I'm live now with you. Awesome. And, uh, yeah, it's great. Yeah. So, tell me a little bit about your background. I see that uh, you know on your Twitter it says you're you know you're a former Wall Street quant and you have a background in financial engineering. So, how did you kind of get started in that world? And uh, yeah, how did you end up finding Bitcoin from the traditional finance uh, finance world?
1: Yeah. So after not being a very good geologist. Uh, and uh, not making a lot of money uh, teaching high school, I decided to uh, go get a master's degree in something a little more advanced that's actually going to pay me some money. And that degree was in financial engineering, which is a quant degree if I took it all the way to the PhD level. But, you know, I was already graduating grad school. I was like 25, 26 years old, you know, it's uh. uh Like, man, how much how many more years am I going to spend in education? Right. So I had to get out, start working. I wasn't officially a quant, but I was a lot more than an analyst. Right. So I picked the higher end of the spectrum. Uh, I was working directly with quants that were building the risk models, and I was assisting the quants in building those risk models. So I understand code. I understand finance. I never took the CFA or the FRM, or the kaya which is the alternative investments exam, but I pretty much knew all that stuff, and then a bunch of CFA's would come into work, and I'm like, oh god, what did they teach you? Uh, but uh, but yeah, so my, my degree was a little more mathematical focused, a little more computer science focused, and I understand the math and the coding behind the finance, uh, so that's basically what a quantitative uh financial degree is quantitative mathematics degree is it goes by a bunch of different programs so um uh, before I got that job though I learned how to trade I uh as you know you were at my financial summit and uh what, were you there for the introduction to trading like the introduction to technical analysis stuff
0: yeah I was and
1: so I teach that course now I've gotten that course down to a single day And uh, I now sell it for about $350 and people still give me shit. Like, why are you selling a technical analysis course anyone can watch for free? What people don't realize is that same course that I, you know, contracted down to uh, five hours was initially a two or three day course that I took in the early 2000s and I paid $8,000 for it. So the knowledge that I share today for 350 bucks is what cost me $2,000 in like $2,003, right? So 20 years ago. And now add inflation on top of that. So I paid the equivalent of $16,000, $17,000 for, uh, for the thing that I now teach people. And it actually changed my life. I absolutely fell in love with trading. I have a mathematical, analytical background. I'm terrible at reading. Uh, my reading comprehension is okay. It's pretty good when I concentrate, but I can't concentrate on reading. Like you hand me to a textbook, you know, like, I don't know. Well, what's a really famous novel that everybody wants to read? I don't know, like Moby Dick or something, which I've never read, right? You hand me Moby Dick and you hand me a chemistry textbook. Guess which one I'm choosing, right? I will not have the attention span to finish Moby Dick because I've only read three novels in my life. It is not something my brain does. Uh, But I can read a chemistry textbook. I can read a physics textbook. uh, I can read an advanced mathematics textbook Uh, everyone's different, right? So uh, trading using technical analysis really worked for me. I'm good at recognizing patterns I've taken every science note man. I mean astronomy is mostly about patterns and recognition. Uh, I've taken astronomy as well and uh, it, it did change my life. And I started out being a trader before I even got that wall street job because I didn't want to go to work. I didn't want a, a job. I wanted to be on my own. I wanted to be an entrepreneur. That's what everybody wants to be. And for me, that path was through trading. So I started, and I also learned options as well. Options is a whole different level of trading. I love trading options. So I started out trading and, uh, and I was doing okay. I was doing pretty good, but then I got, you know, I started reading too much and I got too, fell in love too much with fundamental analysis. And I recognized that the real estate was in an enormous bubble. And I started shorting the real estate market, just like the guys in the big short, only with a lot less money. Unfortunately, I started shorting it a little too early. So I started shorting it in 2006. And by the middle of 2007, I, uh, No, sorry. I started shorting in like late 2005. And by the end of 2006, I ran out of money. I had no more enough money in my trading account. I also didn't start off with much. I spent all my money learning how to trade. So I went and got a job at Bear Stearns, which within two years collapsed because of the real estate crash. So it's a full irony right there. And um, so but I stuck around Wall Street, I was mostly in the risk modeling space. Uh, but I, I started trading on the side back when I worked at Bear Stearns and JP Morgan at MSCI, we had huge restrictions on trading also because of the job that I had, I had access to a lot of hedge fund positions. So my trading was significantly restricted. I had to hold positions for 30 days. Um, I couldn't go short, like, like it was just these, uh, huge restrictions. I eventually got a job in my last three years on wall street. I got a job at a smaller boutique firm that did not have any trading restrictions. It was one I took a smaller salary just so I can trade on the side because it wasn't restricted. And um, and that's what I started doing. And then in 2015, I finally quit to be a trader. Uh, everyone knows me as this Bitcoin guy, but that was not my path. And when I was quitting in 2015, I came up with a bunch of backup plans. You know, trading is risky. I've done it before did uh, I mean, I'm making money, but like, who knows, you know, like anything can happen. Like, I remember 9 11. I remember the 08 crash. I remember the fat finger incident of 2006, uh, the Europe almost the Europe almost collapsed in 2011. Like, so I opened up a physical business uh, in New Jersey, not far from where I lived back then in New York. Uh, it was in the health and wellness space, which is uh, one of my hobbies. Uh, healthy eating, working out every day, which I haven't done in a couple of years since COVID. So uh, that that really depressed me a little bit. Um, this is why I'm taking Q1 off next year to go back to working out like hardcore. I'm only get back in shape in three in like two to three months. Like it'll be uh, you might not see me on Twitter or YouTube much. I'm just like, going to get health health shape. I'm yep. getting old, man. I'm like <laughs> getting close to double your age over there, and um, so. I had a bunch of backup plans. And one of those backup plans was uh, writing articles. The guy that can't read a book was writing articles about Bitcoin, you know, but I enjoyed it. I wanted to share my knowledge. It used to take me all day to write an article. Uh, I used to get paid like, I don't know, $80 for an entire day's work, you know, like while I was still working on Wall Street. I'm like, what the hell am I doing? Is this how I was spending my Saturday, writing an article? But uh, uh, so, I started uh, speaking in public, which I really enjoyed. I super enjoyed speaking in public. And I wanted to see the world. I didn't get a stamp in my passport, my American passport. I didn't get a stamp in that passport until I was around 28 years old. So I uh, came to America when I was like, you know, 9, 10. So obviously I did travel on my way to America. But then other than going to Canada, and I didn't leave the country until I was like 28. I know it sounds insane right so from the age of 10 to 28 that's like a whole lifetime of a person right never left the country i didn't know what what it was like to travel and i started to travel a little bit and i'm like man this is awesome i want to see the world and you think that when you become a trader you're going to be sitting on a different beach every week you know trading with your laptop not how it works you're mostly in a room like yourself and myself with the, like three monitors you know every thick counts you start to overtrade, you start to day trade. Uh, it would be so different if I went to full-time trading now, that would be a lot more relaxed uh, because now I have a lot more, you know, uh, I'm not trading scared money anymore, which is one of the big lessons I wanna teach young people. Don't trade scared money. This is why so many traders fail, because they trade scared money. You enter a trade, you automatically start praying. You know, that's that scared money. Uh, when you start making deals with God, It's, uh, you know, your trade's going the wrong way and you just gotta get out. Uh, So, um, so I had all these backup plans uh, and I quit at the worst time too. Like I quit when Bitcoin was at its lowest. Uh, My physical business that I had been already running for like a year was not off the ground yet. And I had to use my savings to support it. Uh, So instead of getting a nice fat paycheck from Wall Street and converting it into Bitcoin, Um, Not only not getting paid uh, and I'm trading during the day, I'm also using my savings to support the business. Uh, So a lot of people think I'm just like Bitcoin whale because I've been around talking about Bitcoin forever. That's not true. Uh, A lot of us from those early days of uh, 2014, 2015, uh, like a lot of us had other like life situations that prevented us from acquiring a lot of Bitcoin. Like Andreas had like a big Uh, argument with Roger Veer over this. You know, Roger Veer kind of tried to embarrass him because Andreas has been around Bitcoin since like 2011 and he didn't have much Bitcoin at all. And uh, uh, Roger Veer made fun of Andreas for that. And Andreas is like, well, unlike you, Roger, I had like life expenses that I had to use my Bitcoin uh, at a time when most people were accumulating at the low. So 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 I've been hustling the whole time basically. Uh, I'm Doing, doing okay. I didn't have, I didn't need a job the last ten years. I didn't need to have uh, okay. Sorry, I, I, I work a lot more than I work. I, I work more hours than I did when I was in Wall Street. But I don't have a boss anymore, and that's the big difference. Uh, I hate being a boss, uh, but I uh, but I don't have a boss anymore. Anyway, I'm uh, this is a super long intro. But uh, to wrap it up. I had all these backup plans besides trading. So I had trading, had the physical business. I was gonna write articles. I started public speaking. I started uh, becoming a regular on YouTube and that led me to my own YouTube channel. And um, the the one I enjoyed the most was actually traveling and public speaking. And that's what I started focusing on. Traveling, public speaking, and people wanted to hear what I had to say, so I started the YouTube channel. And then, eventually, I needed to find a way to make money Uh, And uh, because uh, in the beginning, I was trading and making money and doing that. But then, as you become more and more known, more and more people want your attention. You're starting to get to that level now where people are constantly emailing you and hitting you up. So, I had to make money uh, because no one's paying for my travel. No one's paying for me to speak. No one's ever paid me to speak. I'm lucky if I get my expenses covered. Uh, so I started teaching people how to trade as I traveled around. Uh, so that kind of, you know, kept my bills paid, kept my, because traveling's not cheap. Uh, so I kept that going for a while. Uh, that led to webinars. I just got tired of teaching in person. I just got bored super easily with stuff. Uh, that led to me doing webinars. Uh, now I just sell those webinars. And then I spoken at so many conferences. And I had so many complaints about most of them. I just said, you know what, maybe it's time for me to start a conference. And I started a couple of conferences uh, and I started on, my, on the peak of my YouTube channel. And uh, now that we're in a bear market, it's a lot harder to fill those conferences, but you are at the financial summit. My conferences are super unique. You have to come to unconfiscatable, but I'm thinking a full year and a half off from unconfiscatable is just too much. Organizing these events is so brutal. Uh, Unconfiscatable is going to come back in December of 2023. And uh, we have another financial summit coming up in Bali. You, 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 you can tell your audience about the Dominican Republic. It was awesome. We have one more coming up in Bali this November. But then that one is going to take a full year off as well. I have to wait for the bull market. My, my entire business now depends on Bitcoiners. Uh, I want to say wealthy, but at least middle class. And this bear market has been brutal. This bear market, along with the overall global recession, is just people are just broke. And uh, no one wants to spend money. Uh, So when the bull market comes, I'm sure my events are going to be oversubscribed. Uh, But this is also why I'm going to take, you know, the beginning of 2023 off, get myself in physical,
0: mental shape, uh, health shape. uh, And then we, you know, regroup and start from there. Yeah, I mean, that's great stuff. So it sounds like, you know, you're kind of combining your love for travel and your love for public speaking with these conferences, because they're all in exotic locations or not, yeah. but I mean, they're all over the country and uh, all over the world. Um, you know, like you said, I went to the Financial Summit in the Dominican Republic. That was great. Um, that was a little bit more of like an intimate conference that I've been to, uh, you know, it was yeah. only like limited 50 people or so. Um, but it was great. You know, I made a lot of great connections and everything like that. Um, So, yeah, I'm looking forward to to more of these events in the future. Um, But, uh, you know, I think you kind of have an interesting background where you kind of came from the financial world. Um, Do you see like kind of, uh, I guess, you know, maybe the fact that you got a master's degree and not like the PhD full into the quant kind of like as an advantage of how you saw Bitcoin? Um, Because it seems like there's kind of like a gap between like the general financial world And uh, when it comes to, like, Bitcoin, like, it seems like a lot of them just don't get it or, you know, maybe refuse to uh, to kind of see the light of it.
1: Yeah, I don't think the level of degree matters all that much. Uh, It all has to do with your mentality. And um, and and I went all around. Uh, So for me personally, it was the libertarian side of uh, Bitcoin. So. Uh, my family fled communism to capitalism. So, you know, when I was growing up, it was all about oh, America. You know, you can start a business. You can do. You know, you you can. Uh, you know, you're uh, you, you're in control of your own fate, basically. And that's what capitalism is. You got to just compete. And uh, when I got to America, you know, you get put in a. And I was in grew up in Brooklyn. You get put in a liberal school, you know, where most teachers are, you know, on the, so, on the left side of the spectrum, on the socialist side of the spectrum. And then you go, you know, through middle school and then four years of high school. And then I did five years of undergrad in a very liberal arts college. I studied math and I studied science, but it was still a very liberal arts college. And then I go down to Florida for my master's degree Oh, and then I was a job as a teacher, which is a very, like, liberal, uh, again, leftist, um, social, uh, the socialist side of the spectrum versus the capitalist side of the spectrum side. And then I go get my master's degree at Florida State, which is, again, the most leftist county in all of Florida, even more so than Miami. So, again, I've all this, like, liberal arts, all this, like, you know, left education. I was, again... Uh, when I became a voting age, I was voting left. I was voting for the Democratic side, and it wasn't until I started uh, looking—it was around 2011—where I said, "This isn't working." Like, and and my parents were always like, "Man, when I when my parents found out, I don't want to get too political on this stream, but uh, but it, but this is what led me to Bitcoin because Bitcoin is pure capitalism." And if you don't understand pure capitalism you will not understand bitcoin it doesn't do anything for you if you don't believe in pure capitalism this is also why i'm losing a lot of subscribers on my youtube channel because i'm becoming very political Uh, but bitcoin is political bitcoin is financial political speech so my family got really angry at me when they found out i voted for obama in the 2008 election and i didn't understand why (laughs) <laughs> because, you know, I grew up in America with all this, like, like, left education. And then in 2011, I'm like, this shit ain't working. Like, uh, so in 2011, I started paying attention to the libertarian side of the spectrum because I didn't like any of the Republican candidates either. They were all evil as well, like McCain and uh, Romney. And uh, so they're all bad. Uh, but I love the libertarian. I love Ron Paul. And I started following Ron. Uh, I ended up voting for Larry Johnson that year. He was a libertarian candidate. It was like a throwaway vote. You know, He got 1% of the popular vote, which is a lot more than any other third-party candidate has ever gotten. Like, well, I think somebody else got 4% once. And trying to follow the Ron Paul campaign and the libertarian side of the spectrum led me to watch, of all channels, Russia Today, a channel that's recently been banned. That's how I discovered Max Kaiser. I mean, that was the channel that was covering Ron Paul. Uh, That's how I discovered Max Kaiser and other shows. And that's what led me to Bitcoin. Uh, And then I started looking into Bitcoin in 2012 and 2013. And in 2013, there was the Cyprus banking confiscation where the government just took money out of the bank accounts of their citizens and residents just for having over 100,000 euros in the bank. Like, that's crazy. They took away 50% of your money above 100,000 euros. Like, imagine uh, you're sitting here in America. You have your – you've been saving for a house. You saved $300,000. And I know in America no one saves, but I come from a communist nation. We saved everything. Uh, And people that come from those communist nations, they understand what savings is because you have to, like, try to save as much as you can. They have to find places to save it in. So I was saving. And I had over 100000 in the bank just for my job. And I'm like, what do you mean they just took the money? And that's what ultimately led me to Bitcoin. And I did my research and I realized that Bitcoin was the only unconfiscatable asset in the world. I was already buying gold and silver. I have a bunch of gold and silver, you know, but like they can confiscate that. They just show up. They'll take the save. I mean, look at Trump. They showed up at his house, took the safe, right? With, I mean, they were looking for papers. But if that's if that safe had a stash of gold, you think he's getting that back? No. Nope. Uh, but guess what? If that safe has a you know a pretty secure hardware wallet, they ain't getting that. Uh, they shouldn't even know where your where, where your wallet is. You know, you can keep it in your head. This is how I ended up owning unco- owning unconfiscatable.com. Uh, because to me that's the most important property of Bitcoin when I left the Soviet Union we were only allowed to leave with one hundred dollars per family member to start a new life it didn't matter how much wealth you have they even checked how much jewelry you're wearing on the way out you know uh, they they took it all uh, hundred dollars per person go start a new life in a different country go for it you know um like it's easy to start, you know, hundred dollars, you know, you go to a place, maybe a Cubot, maybe a Myanmar. you know, hundred dollars can go a long way. It'll feed you for like a few months. Uh, but even in the nineties, you know, how much is a hundred dollars going to feed you in the U S you know, in New York. So, um, so, and this is what led me to Bitcoin. And that's when I started, you know, stepping away from the whole socialist view and moving towards capitalism. And I'm all about capitalism. And uh, I was focusing on just the financial side. Now I'm being a lot more vocal on capitalism versus socialism because the stakes are much higher now. Uh, It's gotten crazy these days, uh, which is why I'm talking to you from Panama and not from the United States. Um, I spent very little time in the United States. Uh, I mean, it's no secret I'm a U.S. citizen, uh, but we'll see for how long because I'm just not in the United States. Uh, the only thing that's still keeping me tied to the United States is actually my parents. Uh, oh, who you've met. Because <laughs> uh, I, I brought them to the to the event. And it's my parents because they're, they're getting a lot older. And uh, especially if they get to see some more, uh, some grandchildren one day, you know, I like it. It'll be hard because uh, uh, I may not be able to come back to the U.S. for five years, ten years. So uh, that's like the only thing that's so far keeping me with my U.S. passport uh, but that may not last for long. I am waiting one more election, uh, depending on how the, I don't even know who's running. right? But if that election doesn't go uh, in the direction I believe it should go, in my view, uh, then it might be time to cut ties because I can do so much more with my businesses if, uh, by not being a U.S. citizen. Uh, I'm just actually being tied down. I am unable uh, to make the kind of money I can make, uh, especially with my connections to the crypto space uh with American ties and uh because I don't take those kinds of I I try not to take those kinds of risks you know uh this is why I stay away from all the old coins um I do respect the SEC I don't want to be involved in uh you know running an unlicensed security especially as a U.S citizen Uh, so I have a very different look on the crypto space I am very responsible in finance uh worked in risk analysis risk management pretty risk averse so i'm i'm careful and i'm um, looking at my friends that are not that have no ties to the us living in dubai uh, and, and they're doing ridiculously well and uh that might be my future we'll see
0: yeah that's awesome stuff and i mean it seems like too a lot of bitcoiners and other you know people around the the greater crypto space too are kind of flocking to wherever's most friendly right so we're seeing a lot of bitcoiners kind of flock to El Salvador, and we're seeing others, you know, go to Puerto Rico, even if they're, you know, U.S. citizens and other things like that. So I think that's kind of a growing trend. So, you know, I hope for America's sake that, you know, they kind of make it a little bit more friendly. But, um, you know, I, I don't know. I mean, after what all has happened the past couple of years, I'm not super confident that that's going to happen either. Um, but I, I've heard you on a few spaces, and I kind of want to get into this and, and hear, your take on it one more time, because I th- thought it was pretty interesting, you know, because it seems like uh, around the, the greater Bitcoin space, it was kind of seen as a positive that China banned Bitcoin mining, um, you know, a, a year or so ago, although they still have, you know, a, a good a chunk of the hash rate. Um, I've heard you on Spaces say that you thought it was, a, it was a very big negative for the Bitcoin space. Why don't you get into, you know, why you think that that's, uh, you know, a big negative?
1: Yeah, I've had these debates a couple of times. I thought that was a big negative. Look, any time a, a, a part of Bitcoin space gets banned, it's overall bad, right? Because now there'll be less people using it. What, what, and the debate on the other side is, well, if Bitcoin is so comfortable because it's so accepted, when are people going to learn that it's adversarial? I, I don't take that view. Uh, But the main reason why I didn't like the China mining ban, and look, we still have like 20% mining taking place in China, so there's never a cool ban, is because Bitcoin's decentralization depends on three things. Um, I have a nice triangle diagram for this. Uh, The coding of the code, the security of the network, uh, of running that code, which is the miners and ordinary people like you and I uh, who run nodes to validate our own transactions and enforce the rules to make sure that neither the developers nor the miners don't go rogue. So if the miners and the developers both decided to go rogue at the same time, uh, the node operators, all they can do is freeze the system as is They would not adopt the new code. They would not adopt the newly mined Bitcoin based on new code. And the code kind of gets locked in there. So the nodes are the ultimate gatekeepers. And the more, I don't want to say adversarial, but the more diversified this triangle is, the better. So inside each part of the triangle, so the more smart developers we have, the more mining we have uh, independently. right? So mining itself, it would be great if it was decentralized. Uh, Coding itself, great if it's decentralized. Uh, Nodes themselves, also decentralized. What does it mean for nodes to be decentralized? Well, a lot of nodes and all around the world. Uh, That's decentralization of nodes. What does it mean for coding? Same thing, a lot of smart developers all around the world. And what does it mean for mining? Well, a lot of mining all around the world. Uh, But with this China ban, not only did we cut back on mining overall, mining moved over to America. And most of the nodes, most Bitcoin users are actually Americans. It's Americans and Europeans. Uh, But the majority of the nodes are in America. The majority of developers are actually Americans. And now the majority of mining are, is also in America. And now also the concentration of Bitcoin is in America. If that is not part of Bitcoin's decentralization, Ethereum is in trouble because they're about to make the holding of the token as part of their decentralization model, which I believe is a huge mistake. But that's a whole other topic, but uh, which we may or may not get to. But, uh i don't like the concentration in the united states of all three of those things if the majority of mining even 70 percent of mining was taking place in china and the node operators were in america the majority and the the majority of developers were in america there's very little those miners can do to mess up the network but now that the mining has moved to the United States, uh, the United States might try to regulate all those miners. And now, instead of the United States regulating 20% of the mining network, they have the ability to regulate 60 70% of the mining network. And I can see that it's crippling Bitcoin more than this fear that China is mining all the Bitcoin. So that was my argument as to why... Uh, I would have rather have mining in China and node operators in the U.S.
0: because uh, the countries themselves are adversarial. I got you. So the adversarial nature of the countries would kind of, I guess, just keep it a little bit more open instead of... And
1: more more decentralized.
0: Yeah, exactly. All right, well, that makes sense. And it seems like, too, like, you know, on that note,
1: I'm not sure if Green Candle is frozen or I'm frozen. I'm the one running a hotspot off of a cell phone
0: because I just got a. Uh, that was, a uh, Your that internet was, went down. Uh, yeah, so uh, <laughs> yeah, we were worried about we were worried about uh, you, but I uh, I'm here in Florida, and uh, yeah, I guess my power just went out for half a second. So, but I'm back.
1: Right. So 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 I'm in Panama. I'm tethering off of a U.S. Uh, SIM card uh literally moved into an empty apartment like thank god there's a dining room table and a bed here and uh you're the one with 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 that problems. that's hilarious
0: yeah i don't know i don't know i mean it just all of a sudden i was worried about it because you know here in florida it rains like every night in summer and uh you know i i get they they do these rolling blackouts to kind of protect the grid and it just like they you know, goes off real quick and on right back, uh, right away. But, you know, of course, that delays the internet. So I should have just prepared and uh, stayed on the hot spot. I would have gone black for a second, but I- I'm back anyway. So, yeah. um, so, so on so, that yeah, point, that's... we were kind of talking I'm not about going
1: going, On that point, going back to mining, right? China doesn't have no rolling blackouts. They got plenty of energy, right? And, like, all the mining is going to the U.S. Like, uh, look, I, I, want, I want every single country to mine. I want countries to mine Bitcoin though in a way i don't really want you know a hundred thousand nuclear reactors being built everywhere because it's advantageous to use them to mine bitcoin you know like uh so we'll see about that
0: yeah um and, and i agree too i mean we saw like a lot of the texas uh you know a lot of the texas bitcoin miners had to turn off uh over the summer you know riot and, and some of these other ones due to the st- potential strain on the grid and other things like that so we've seen you know, some of that already kind of start in the US. And we've seen other countries kind of do that as well. You know, Iran comes to mind, and uh, we'll actually get into that, that story as well. But Iran um, has kind of had an interesting, uh, you know, back and forth with Bitcoin, where they've banned mining, then they allowed it back, and then they've banned it again. But now, uh, they just uh, approved regulation for use of Bitcoins. And you know, shit coins to a lesser extent for international trade. So, I, I mean, for me personally, I think that this is like one of the hugest steps uh, that can be made in, in Bitcoin. Um, but I'd be curious to hear what your thoughts are on it. Um, of course, you know, it's just an approval of something. So, a trade hasn't been made yet in Bitcoin, but the fact that it can be, you know, the potential there, I think, I think is a potentially a big step.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a good sign. Uh, any time kind a of country uh adopt allows their citizens to use bitcoin it's a good thing and i don't really care what kind of country it is you know bitcoin is good bitcoin brings freedom like if north korea wants to allow their citizens to use bitcoin great i'll applaud them like i don't i don't care like i'm all for freedom uh so iran's doing it awesome you know i never agreed with american sanctions on iran uh, i think iran's gonna do fine a lot for iran is going to depend on how the russia ukraine situation resolves itself if it ever does uh but iran's got a chance i think the biggest problem with iran is saudi arabia they don't get along at all so it'll be hard for them to be part of the same economic union but uh people need to pay more attention to the BRICS. another country with constant rolling blackouts is south africa Uh, again they uh, need to get their shit together and uh have energy. Uh, but bringing in Bitcoin miners will solve your energy problems. You will not have rolling blackouts. If you get into partnerships with some of these Bitcoin mining companies, they will pay for all the access energy. So you have abundance of energy and you'll never need rolling blackouts. And these energy companies will make money as long as you want capitalists run them and not government bureaucrats.
0: Yeah. And I mean, it, it seems like it's, it's so obvious to everybody in the Bitcoin community, but, uh, you know, politicians are still kind of resisting it just because of the whole, you know, power aspect. So what do you think it's going to take to get like, you know, countries to kind of dive headfirst and kind of fully embrace it? You know, we've seen El Salvador kind of get into that way. But um, do you think like, you know, it, it's we going to be. El Salvador.
1: A- we need El Salvador. Everyone is watching El Salvador and El Salvador is in trouble because the price of Bitcoin has fallen. I personally think El Salvador will be fine uh, because wealthy, smart, uh, eager entrepreneurs are going to move there. I'm a little concerned that like shitcoiners rush in uh, the moment the country opens up. But if El Salvador stays to form with only Bitcoin, Bitcoin. El Salvador can do super well, but uh, right now it is in a little bit of trouble because of uh, the price of Bitcoin. Everything goes back to the price of Bitcoin. When the price of Bitcoin rises, everyone's good. Everyone wants to spend money. Everyone wants to start businesses. Uh, when the price of Bitcoin falls, you know we all suffer big time. And it's not just because we're holding Bitcoin. We suffer because our businesses suffer.
0: Yeah, I agree. And, uh, you know, on that note with El Salvador, we did see, you know, them kind of start to build the infrastructure. They've hit a lot of bumps in the road with the Chivo wallet kind of being, you know, iffy and everything like that. But they also had the big announcement of their Volcano-backed bonds. And it seems like it's hit another delay. Um, So, you know, they kind of have these Bitcoin-backed bonds. And, uh, you know, initially they said it was delayed because of the market conditions, uh, but now that they have a, a law to try to get them enacted, it says it's delayed to potentially two or three more months. And then it'll take, a, a, you know, some additional time after that to get it up and running. So do you think like this, this volcano back bonds is kind of showing, uh, showing some weakness in um, showing some weakness in the de- uh, adoption of, uh, you know, Bitcoin as legal tender uh, in El Salvador, or do you think this is just, you know, kind of uh, you know, par for the course with a you know a third world country kind of adopting a new currency.
1: Um, I, I think it shows a little bit of weakness and not enough demand for those bonds because, uh, again, when they announced that Bitcoin was sixty k, you know now Bitcoin is twenty k, big difference, you know. Uh, so I, I, I think they're just like everybody else. They're just Hanging in there, hanging in there. And when Bitcoin breaks 40k, people are gonna start spending again. Um, I, I think it's just the market environment. Uh, I think there's just delay in it because, in my opinion, because they know they're not gonna, no one's gonna buy into them, uh, and that's unfortunate. So they just got, they just gotta hang in there. Like eventually, Bitcoin price will start to go up. Uh, I, I hate to think that I wasted nine years of my life uh, at this point uh i'm very committed to the bitcoin division the of bitcoin it's kind of like but it's not a person it's not a company uh, you know it's like we're sitting here in the mid 90s and i'm like i'm fully committed to the vision of the internet you know it's going to change the world and uh and here we are and i do think bitcoin is going to change the world and el salvador will be fine uh el salvador needs a little better infrastructure El salvador uh it just you know needs to be at a little higher level and they need those bonds to get to that higher level. So it's like a chicken and egg problem. But once this ball gets rolling, man, uh, I, I, I think I'll solve it. It'll be fine. Um, uh, I really do. I want to go back there. Have you been yet?
0: I haven't been yet now, but I, are you, uh, gonna, are
1: you thinking of going in November? They're having a
0: conference. Yeah, I'm not gonna probably make it in November, but uh, you know I want to make it probably in the next year or so. So, uh, you know I know they have a lot of conferences and things like that there, so I'll probably try to check one out uh, sometimes. Yeah, back. I'm
1: not gonna make it in November either, but I have been there, uh, not not for a conference, just to check it out. Uh, I'll be back there. Uh, I think it has potential, but if, if Bitcoin price stays depressed and goes towards ten thousand over the next six months, I think El Salvador is in trouble.
0: Yeah, so then I I guess how do other countries that uh, begin to to, uh, begin to adopt Bitcoin kind of avoid this situation? Because you know, as great as Bitcoin is and all the problems that it solves, it is extremely volatile when it comes to like you know the U.S. dollar right now. And so, how do countries, businesses, and everything like that kind of I guess get better prepared for the next potential bear market? Or do you think like you know, or do you maybe subscribe to the next theory that there's a you know, the next one's a super cycle or something like that.
1: You know, um, this, is, this is why accepting and adopting Bitcoin, whether you're an individual or whether you're a corporation or whether you're a country, is always the biggest decision of your life. Uh, this is how people that looked into Bitcoin in 2010, not going to name names, uh, to this day, refuse to believe that Bitcoin will amount to anything, right? It has this unique ability to get you convinced that it's going back to zero every time. And that's how countries are going to miss out on the next bull run. And they will start adopting Bitcoin when the price of Bitcoin is breaking quarter million dollars. And then they will watch the price of Bitcoin fall back down to 50. And then they're going to be upset that they got into Bitcoin to begin with. And other countries are going to laugh at them. And then they're going to get in on the next cycle when it goes to a million dollars. Right. So this is how Bitcoin is always able to do this. Like I remember all these corporations like Dish Network, Expedia, Adopting Bitcoin in 2013. 2013. Is Expedia accepting Bitcoin now? No. Is Dish Network accepting Bitcoin now? No. But they were in 2013. And then they realized how dumb that decision was in 2014. And yet here we are with Bitcoin at $20,000, right? Now, imagine if Expedia and Dish Network would have held on to those Bitcoins from on the way down in 2014, when the price was going down to 200, instead of ending their experiment and accepting Bitcoin, okay? So, like the uh, it's it's very interesting. We'll see what happens with Michael Saylor and MicroStrategies, right? Look at Tesla. Tesla got in and already got out. Bitcoin has this just unique ability because look, if if buying, if adopting or holding Bitcoin was easy, everyone would be a billionaire, wouldn't they?
0: Yeah, I mean, I agree with you there. I think, I think it's like an interesting point there, you know, because like the average pleb can kind of have, you know, a long time horizon. But when you have like these businesses and they got a report every quarter and countries are seemingly under, you know, a bigger microscope, uh, you know, I, I feel like it's a lot of, uh, a lot more pressure to kind of hold on to this Bitcoin and they get, get a lot more pressure to, to sell. Um, and so I think that's where, you know, the conviction kind of comes into play. And luckily, you know, we've seen Bukele has had, you know, quite a bit of conviction. Um, and he's, you know, seemingly trying to, to buy the dip at any opportunity that they can get. And, you know, I think that's something that you really need, especially when you're a country like El Salvador kind of getting into it. And, uh, you know, as a country that, that hasn't necessarily been well off in the past. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I think it, as long as El Salvador kind of keeps this long time horizon, they'll yeah. end up being all right as well uh, as, as what you were saying. But um, I think like in the short term, a lot of other countries are kind of trying to please, you know, the IMF and other, other places as well. And they're starting to, to regulate uh, heavily against Bitcoin and trying to limit the amount that their citizens can purchase. So, you know, Singapore is one that is now planning on some legislation to decrease purchases of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies. I know Canada has kind of tossed that around as well. Um, so, you, you know, how do you kind of see this playing out? Do you see like, um, you know, people kind of, I guess, you know, you know we saw it with the, the COVID pandemic, a lot of people kind of voting with their feet moving from uh, states like California to and New York to Texas and Florida. Do you think we'll kind of start to see that trend with uh, countries that, you know, aren't necessarily as friendly when it comes to Bitcoin and and other cryptocurrencies?
1: I I do. And uh, this, again, goes back to El Salvador, where I know El Salvador is going to have financial issues and the IMF is not going to give them money and it'll look bad. But El Salvador needs to just milk their best asset. And their best asset, we have wealthy entrepreneurs in the Bitcoin space. Moving here, they will buy the businesses. They will build the roads. They will make it better. They will employ people, right? They need to milk that. They need to provide a safe environment with low regulation to allow people like Max Kaiser to do their thing, okay? Hire people, build stuff. That's what they can do. So buy Bitcoin in the West, in the US, where there aren't that many restrictions on buying it, buy it in Europe while you can, and then get wealthy uh, and then get the hell out and help other countries, help them build something. Because eventually the West will make Bitcoin illegal. They will not accept it. The United States should accept it, the entire country was built on capitalism but that is not the trend currently so um acquire it anywhere you can and then go to places that want you and don't demonize well uh people you know can uh uh you know, speak badly about Dubai and the Middle East all day like. But what the Middle East has, especially Dubai and Abu Dhabi, is that they uh, don't demonize capitalism. They don't demonize the guy in the limousine. They don't demonize the guy driving a Ferrari. They embrace it. Like, wow, that guy has a nicer car than me. I need to work harder i want I want that car right we in the u.s uh you know you're putting signs on your window of your car uh this is a honda please go break into a tesla you know like uh so um, that's a uh, again everything I, here's my um where do you live decentralization triangle right you have a um you live in a place uh there are three things a place can offer you they can offer you physical safety. Some countries are more dangerous than others. Uh, They can offer you um, social freedom where you can say anything you like, um, and they can offer you uh, financial freedom. Uh, So social freedom, financial freedom, uh, uh, safety freedom. Uh, The US is very good at social freedom when you're on the left side of the spectrum. you know If you step foot into the capital to take a selfie, you're doing five years right now, for God knows what. Right? Um, but they have lots of social freedom. You can be you know, openly uh, gay, transgender. Uh, you can speak out against the president uh, to an extent, uh, a lot more so than anywhere else. Uh, so you have a lot of social freedom, but your financial freedom is pretty limited compared to a place like Dubai uh maybe a few others uh and your uh physical safety depends on where you live uh but a place like Dubai, you have incredible physical safety like you can it's probably the safest place in the world, uh Singapore as well, and you have very good financial freedom they 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 love rich people there they don't demonize them uh there's no taxes there, and uh the one place where they still A little bit lower than others is, you know, social freedom and speak your mind. Uh, So how important is that to you? If uh, criticizing your government and being and doing drugs and, uh, you know, being openly gay is important to you, then Dubai is not for you. It's just not, you know, stay in America. Uh, But for those that don't aren't concerned about that. Uh, like, I don't want to criticize the country I live in. Um, I want to live in a country that I don't criticize. That's why I live there, right? Like, like I'm not going to move to Dubai to criticize Dubai. I'm not going to move to Panama to talk shit about Panama. I'm in Panama right now. I'm just, that's why I'm picking Panama, right? So you move to a place that you like. So you're not going to talk shit about them. And, and in a place like Dubai, you move there for financial freedom and for physical safety. Uh, And if you don't like to buy anymore, then you move, right? And uh, going back to conspiracy theories, my conspiracy theory is that this COVID passports and COVID lockdowns and the whole COVID thing. uh, One of the main reasons for it is because uh, tyrannical government leaders that want to control you really didn't like how freedom of movement was becoming too prevalent. This ability to just go anywhere and live anywhere. And now you have money that is borderless really scares the elites uh bitcoin is just one piece of the puzzle guys there is a bigger picture that i am looking to focus on more um there's very little i can teach people about bitcoin at this point i, I i've said it all when people ask me tone what do you think about this and i'm like "Oh, find my video from 2017 nothing has changed um oh well, pretty much nothing i can i gotta dig up some of my 2015 interviews It's like, wait, did he give that interview in 2015 or 2022? Like like nothing has changed. Um, uh, My voice about Bitcoin, it it hasn't changed. I've been very consistent and it's been the same. Uh, But we need more voices uh, praising capitalism and uh, speaking
0: down to communism. Uh, And that's going to be my future focus goal. And I think that's a that's a great focus going forward. And I think, you know, a lot of people are starting to push towards, uh, you know, encouraging businesses in the Bitcoin space and in the in the lightning space as well. Um, You know, with the development of the lightning network, I think a lot of people are kind of opening their eyes and big venture capital firms are kind of starting to get into that mix. Um, And it seems like, you know, a lot of money is being thrown into Bitcoin companies and, you know, like, uh, for example, NYDIG announced at Boom, where we were at that they're going to uh, do a lightning accelerator program for companies in the Bitcoin and lightning space. They're calling it Wolf, kind of like wolves in the sheep's clothing, but it's going to be targeting companies in the pre-seed, seed and series A stages for those familiar. And it'll kind of, uh, you know, uh, deal with eight to 12 teams or companies per cohort. Um, so do you kind of see, I guess, like. Uh, you know, we, we we have our good friend Muzz over at Lightning Ventures and, and some of these other uh, venture capital firms that kind of are focusing specifically on Bitcoin companies. Uh, do you kind of see this as like a continuing trend where more and more money is going to be dumped into these Bitcoin companies? And then, you know, thus they're going to start moving to more, uh, I guess, friendly countries like like in El Salvador or, um, you know, maybe it maybe a Panama or somewhere else where it's a little bit more friendly to run these businesses and then operate, you know, all over the globe.
1: Yeah, Panama is actually pretty friendly to crypto, uh, and especially Bitcoin. Uh, Panama so far is a pretty friendly nation uh, to this space. Yeah, I do, and it's slowly, you know. Once a person, you know, in a, at a high stature with a lot of wealth, like a, uh, like a Michael Saylor. Uh, like, you know, the founders of Nibig, Uh, once they understand Bitcoin, they realize that the best thing they can do for Bitcoin is to help the ecosystem grow. So you're willing to spend money to let it grow because when the ecosystem grows and more Bitcoin infrastructure gets built, the Bitcoin that you are hodling becomes a lot more valuable, a lot, and it goes up in price because of the scarce nature of it. And they see the vision. And I do think there will be more like them. But again, we have to wait till the new all-time high. When the new all-time high hits, if Bukele uh, is still president, when the new all-time high comes, he'll be praised around the world to high heavens. Uh, when the new all-time high comes, uh, considering Day is starting this at the low of the market. Uh, They're going to be incredibly happy they started this initiative in the bear market. Uh, When you start your business in the bear market, it does super well. Uh, The problem is when you start your business at the top, and then you have to weather the bear market. And that is very stressful. And even if you can get out of it and you can weather that storm, uh, your business is severely, severely crippled. uh, And it takes you... They have to go past the all-time high to make up for uh the losses that you would have suffered uh keeping that business alive so i think it's great i can't wait to go visit that office one day hopefully they'll return my message uh i'm not i haven't met the guys over there yet uh, i told i told muz right away because you and i were at that event where they announced that Muzz wasn't and i'm like muz you got to go see them they're basically doing what you're doing
0: yeah, I mean, and Muzz is doing great stuff with Lightning Ventures, too. So, I mean, I think it's uh, it's awesome stuff, like seeing all these different, you know, venture capital firms just kind of helping, you know, give a lot of, it seems like, t- too, like the Bitcoin space is pretty interesting where a lot of people are kind of like first-time entrepreneurs or first-time, uh, you know, starting businesses or companies and kind of getting into it just because, you know, of the, the love for the message behind Bitcoin and like that's kind of giving them their push um, so hopefully, you know, a lot of these uh, you know, venture capital firms give them some great guidance. And, you know, we see a lot of uh, successful and prosperous companies in the Bitcoin space. Um, but on that note, uh, we're seeing the uh, largest supplier of Bitcoin ATMs, Bitcoin Depot, is now going public via SPAC on the NASDAQ. And I I kind of have some mixed feelings about uh, Bitcoin companies going public. So I'd like to hear like kind of your Uh, feelings about it because you know at the end of the day everything or every public company is thus regulated by the SEC um, and put it under a little bit more of a microscope so do you see this as like a positive um, kind of you know par for the course like something that needs to happen or um, do you see like Bitcoin companies uh, going public as more so of a negative
1: I personally still see it as a positive because the alternative is shitcoin, right? So either um, you go public in the stock market or you start a shitcoin. And I don't respect shitcoins. So the lesser of two evils is you go the old-fashioned regulated way. But you have to compete with those that start their shitcoin. And the reason why I don't like all of those uh, shitcoin utility tokens is because they flipped backwards a multi-hundred-year model of uh, publicly accessible uh, interest in the product. Uh, In the traditional markets, you first start a company, you get some kind of funding. And then you need to show that your product or service actually has clients, actually has customers, actually has revenue. It doesn't need profit. God knows how long it took Facebook to turn a profit or Amazon, Uh, Tesla, I don't think still has profit. Uh, uh, They might, but not from their car sales from like carbon credits and stuff, right? So you need to have a viable thing for other humans to use. Uh, and then, and only then, do you open up uh, pieces of that company for public speculative consumption. That's what an IPO is. A lot of them get overvalued, but you know, but th- th- that's uh, going into semantics. But the price of the stock is not the success of the company. The success of the company comes first. The stock price reflects that. So uh, Bear Stearns, where I work, didn't go bankrupt because the stock went to zero. Bear Stearns went bankrupt and then the stock went to zero. In the crypto space, this model has been flipped. Uh, You start the token first. Let's name it, I don't know sell CS token, right? You start a token and the token gets hyped up and goes up in value. And now you start a business to make a reason for this token's existence. And as long as the value of the token is rising, your business is functioning. But then all of a sudden the table turns on the token and that's when people realized there was never a business there. That is the token model. Token first, maybe company later, and the success of the company is dependent on the price of the token. Maybe companies like Binance and FTX actually have a somewhat of a viable product that people use, but there are competitors without the token. And if that token goes to zero, that company's done, where Kraken doesn't have that problem because they don't have a token. So when you start the token first, the, your entire business model is basically a Ponzi because the token value controls the success of your company. And the lesser of two evils for me is going with the SEC and going public on the stock market. Because at least it shows to your investors that you came up with a profitable product
0: first, not the token first. Gotcha. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And yeah, I mean, I I agree with you. I think it's definitely the lesser of the two evils, for sure, because, you know, as we're seeing uh, with the volatility of not only Bitcoin, but the, the shit coins are way more volatile, right? So the companies that are, uh, that have kind of been suffering the most in this uh, downturn seems like the companies that are dabbling the most in these shit coins. So, um, yeah, I mean, I think it, it, it is kind of interesting um, that, that, you know, the way you laid out those two different models and it's good that, uh, you know, this uh, Bitcoin Depot is having the viable product and, and it seems like the demand for Bitcoin ATMs is rising all over the U S um, but on the note of like the overall macro environment, we're seeing, you know, high inflation all over the US. But in the Eurozone, it, it hit an all time high this past month at 9.1. Um, you know, with the, the Russia Ukraine conflict, and war going on there. Um, you know, we're seeing energy prices all over Europe skyrocket. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll, I'll close it out here with this one last question of like, how do you kind of see this overall macro environment, like playing out over in Europe? Do you see like, A viable way out or do you see kind of uh, I guess you know uh, maybe I mean we're already kind of in like a global recession but maybe that turning into a a depression and uh, you know it kind of being bloody on the way out
1: I have a very low uh, I have a very pessimistic view of Europe's future uh, I know people tell me, oh, I was just in Portugal and I was just in Greece and all the restaurants are full and everyone's having fun. And I'm like, well, enjoy the honeymoon period while it lasts. Uh, but uh, I have a very low expectation for Europe, especially with this whole Russia conflict. And they're about to have, like, real rolling blackouts. And like, good luck charging your Tesla. Uh, I think Europe is in serious trouble. Uh, inflation is only part of it. Uh, so there's Inflation, there's two types of inflation, right? Like, for example, in the United States, the price of goods is rising. But the U.S. dollar is strengthening against other fiat currencies, especially the euro. So we have actual inflation. In a place like Europe, not only is there inflation with the price of goods rising, uh, they also have their currency devaluing against the U.S. dollar. So they're getting hit double. Uh, They're getting hit on uh, Europe and uh, they're getting hit on goods and they're getting hit on currency conversion. I don't understand how the European currency has been able to hold together this long. I'm expecting the breakup of the common currency. Uh, And when that happens, that might be one of the biggest catalysts for Bitcoin we've ever seen. Uh, Because anyone that still has euros is going to immediately rush in uh, to try and buy uh, a bunch of Bitcoin. So, I mean, it, it's kind of good. I feel bad for the people of Europe. I would have zero interest living in Europe. I would rather, you know, even live in Eastern Europe right now, not Ukraine, uh, but some other parts of Eastern Europe. Uh, and uh, I'd rather live there. Uh, I'd rather, I I might go, when I go back to Asia, I haven't been to Asia in years because of COVID. Uh, I got turned off by Asia based on how they how tyrannical they went on COVID restrictions. Uh, Latin America was bad in some countries as well. Uh, But I don't know. I'm starting to learn Spanish because I think the future is in Latin America.
0: Yeah, and I mean, it seems like it's all kind of moving that way as well. I mean, the adoption of Bitcoin uh, down there. I mean, obviously, if Bitcoin starts pumping and their overall adoption and like the people kind of moving down there and the tax incentives, like you said, businesses kind of continuing to move down there, I mean, I could definitely see that, um, you know, so it'll be interesting to see kind of how it plays out. But I agree with you. I kind of have a grim future when it comes to our outlook when it comes to Europe. I think it's definitely going to be you know, a, a, definitely a brutal winter. I mean, we're seeing uh, Germany and other countries like that already having to find other reserves, whether it's coal or everything like that, just to kind of survive the winter. So um, but on that note, Tone, you've been very generous with your time. I really appreciate you coming out. Um, why don't you tell everybody you know, who doesn't know you what, what you got going on and where they can find you?
1: Sure. Uh, you can find me everywhere Stone Base. I'm going to be splitting my brand around. I'm going to talk Bitcoin on my Unconfiscatable brand. I'm going to talk finance and trading and investing on my Financial Summit brand. Uh, these conferences will happen again. The Financial Summit that uh, Brandon was at. Uh, about a month ago will take place two months from now uh in bali indonesia uh going back to asia hopefully it'll uh be mask free this time and uh Happen uh, in december of next year so 2023 uh, hopefully the world will be more stable by then so we'll see trying to stay optimistic here uh and you find tone base everywhere instagram twitter uh youtube as well i have a channel uh where i stream almost every day mostly about the price of bitcoin which we did not even discuss on this channel so for those that have been watching and patiently waiting um i think bitcoin will bottom in september uh and start the next bull market either in september or very early october i'm expecting a bottom here it is possible the bottom has come in june I think there's a high probability we're going to make a slightly lower low. I don't believe we're going to go lower than 14. So get your buys ready uh, because I am.
0: Then where, where's your prediction of uh, I guess how is it going to play out? So if it's going to bottom out here in uh, in September, do you think it's going to kind of uh, you know start the next bull run like that, or do you think we're, it's going to be kind of like a bumpy ride up?
1: No, I think it's going to be a pretty quick bull run because in the middle of 2023, and not only am I expecting major political upheaval, I'm also, you know, the halving is coming. The halving of 2024 is coming and uh, I'm
0: expecting Bitcoin to pump big time into that halving. Awesome. Well, well said. Everybody go check out Tone Vays and go to all his conferences. They're great events. And uh, yeah, I can attest about the financial summit and I'm looking forward to attending the rest of them as well. So Tone, thanks so much.
1: Thanks, man.